0: Alright, I'm going to dial this in
1: here,
0: and this communications
1: array is almost ready. Truman Joe, how's it going? What the actual fuck? Good to see you too, man. No, I mean, uh, how are you here? Uh, Janeway's silly decision to blow up the caretaker array stuck us all here? Hello. <laughs> uh, okay, no, you know
0: that's not what I meant. You've engaged in, like... 18 different wacky hijinks this week. How are you not in the brig? If you're talking about my hard week of work. Hold on, hold on. No, no, no. I I know you disobeyed Harry's direct orders. You mean Ensign Harry? Well, didn't you punch Tuvok like directly in the face? You know, he's pretty slow for security. Well, I know for certain there was a violation of the Prime Directive in there somewhere. Since when does that matter on Voyager Joe?
1: Okay,
0: uh, you got me there. Didn't I hear something about you and, like, Omega Particles or something? No comment. I know I heard that you went into the holodeck, you accessed Chakotay's private Seska simulation, you fucked the shit out of her, and then you told her about it and
1: asked her how you smelt. First of all, 10 out of 10, you need to try it. Second of all, those scratches are still healing. But look, Joe, all of that was necessary, okay? Because at the end, I got results, all right? per Article 4 Starfleet Protocol subsection D6. If you succeed, all is forgiven every time. And you know what? At the end of the day, the captain got her six pounds of knockoff finest Delta Quadrant coffee beans. Mission solved. Don't give me that section D6 crap. That never works. I've tried (laughs) many times to
0: engage in wacky hijinks, and and even if I succeed,
1: I get punished. I know. I'm just playing. It's because you know I serve out the Enterprise. It's a flagship privilege, baby.
0: Chilling in my Starfleet-issue-spacious San Francisco apartment. It's V'ger Please, A Hateful Voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is
1: Joseph. I'm Dwight Schultz's (laughs) hairpiece, Peter. I have been sitting on
0: this episode in my mind ever since we reviewed uh, latent image in season two, I want to say. I knew this day was coming and I, I delighted at the prospect. Tell us, Peter,
1: what did we review? We watched season six, episode 10. Pathfinder and wow, wow! What a what a slap in the face to the Voyager cast and crew, huh? It's it's pretty uh pretty cool. They just managed to sneak in this random TNG episode into Voyager, right? <laughs> Real, you take these caps like these these red letter events where you're actually progressing the meta plot of Voyager, which is like maybe four episodes that they've done that actually really advance things like this. And you hand the whole goddamn thing off to the next generation crew and cast for them to know that the show is just stagnant and boring and crappy and say, you know what? You don't need a full season. We're going to take one of your episodes and turn it into a fucking next gen episode Right in your face. And then you're all going to play bitch ass stooges the entire episode. Like, I can't wait for Delta Flyers to get into this because uh, Robert Duncan McNeil will frequently say that, you know, his favorite Episodes are the ones that don't really have a heavy guest cast and they don't go into like secondary characters on the ship, and everything revolves around the main cast and advances their stories and this and that. And just to be completely sidelined, like I'm being, I'm being smarmy right now. This was a really good episode. I liked it a lot. It certainly felt great to see Deanna and Barkley. And who would have ever in a million years thought that Barkley would have turned out to be one of the most beloved characters in Star Trek?
0: I want to point out. uh, So first and foremost, I looked back season two, that was projections not hollow pursuits. Yeah. So projections was the first time he showed up. I'm pretty sure. That Barkley actually is in more episodes of Voyager than TNG. He's a, he's a supporting character from this point forward for the rest of the show. He shows up pretty frequently. I I love that they did that because like you said, Barkley is kind of like this secret, awesome character from TNG because he's, Not a super enlightened, perfect space scientist like everyone else. He's a kind of a
1: a fucked up guy with problems. And a little scary, too. Like, I'm watching this one. And I think if you just lay down some low key, sinister music in these apartment scenes that you would think this is an episode where Barkley is going to cut off Deanna Troy's face and eat it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's, he's, He's a little unstable very unstable to the point where there's like legitimate actions being taken against him by uh, command structure again I don't know if this episode was as good as it felt or if season sucks had really just hit such a low point of dud shit episodes and just boring crap that this was just a really welcome breath of fresh air into a bad season
0: I always considered this a very good episode of Voyager overall. And my opinion is I've watched this many times because Barclay being one of my favorite characters as well. I just like to rewatch every episode that he was ever in. So I don't think it's just the, uh, the, the fact that it's adjacent to some real crap that we've had to deal with so far in season six that has endeared you to this. It's honestly quite good uh, performance wise having a really good actor like Dwight Schultz playing a, a, such a nuanced character like Reginald Barkley just helps tremendously. And of course, you know, special appearance by Marina Sirtis. You Still know, super hot. Those uh, form-fitting first contact jumpsuits, man. You mean like, her yoga pants? Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Did her all the favors. My um, wife's watching this one with us. And when uh, Marina Sirtis pops up on screen, she's like, is that? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, And she's like, wow, she looks a whole lot less exotic. And I was like, yeah, that really kind of follow. Like when you think of early season one, season two, Troy, you think of like low cut tops and cleavage and that stuff. But I think the bigger story is really the volume of the wigs. They had her in these big, like super dark curly and moving over to a more natural look really has like taken away whatever alien quality she may have had. And didn't they used to have her in like, black contacts i don't remember that in black contacts i just i do agree
0: that when she was in the civilian clothes for whatever reason like the makeup was made her kind of like look a bit more i guess mediterranean yes greek greek yeah um whereas now with the more militaristic outfits that she obviously wears as a consequence of being in a real uniform it kind of it's hard to do that. She's more business and now. She just kind of looks more generic, but still, it's it's great. We the episode opens on Earth at Barclay's apartment. Deanna Troys come to visit. Specifically, we get the call out: Enterprise is in orbit around Earth. The you know they're on shore leave, uh, and Barclay has specifically asked for Deanna to to visit to waste um, an entire day of her vacation. <laughs> so we establish a few key things here first. The last time we saw Barkley before this, and it was the real Barkley, it was actually first contact. And he was assigned to the Enterprise then. Because he's, you know, he has that scene on uh on the planet where he nerds out over Zephyr Cochran, and Zephyr Cochran runs away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like Jordy's like, uh, Barkley, so glad I could bring you, you know, to the past and you could freak out a historic figure. Way to go, buddy. <laughs> Fucking it up everywhere you go. Uh, But he has since been reassigned to some – to a project on Earth. He says that it is the Pathfinder project and it was two years ago that he was assigned to that. The Pathfinder project is the project to try and establish communication with Voyager. And we find out during the episode that this started approximately two years ago because that is when the Doctor beamed himself into the Alpha Quadrant and had his adventure with Andy Dick on the Prometheus. So ever since then, they have been
1: trying to find a way to get him home. So I want to go back to the opening on this because a big part of this episode plays out of Barkley's apartment as he kind of narrates things to Troy. I did my uh, my freeze frame uh, game right off the bat and his apartment's like what I call it uh, future friends apartment. He's got this exposed brick with these industrial steel girders and it's It's classic, yet it still reeks of 90s. And interestingly, I believe this is the last episode of uh, Star Trek to air in the 90s. When was the? Yeah, December 1st, 1999. So it is so, so jarring to see Star Trek happen in a very modern and familiar atmosphere in those outfits like it, it looks like people getting ready for a convention and just hanging out at someone's house it it sticks out like such a sore thumb and uh like you said marina Surtis looks great it looks like she still got her first contact uniform that was actually fitted for i don't know what they have him wearing but like the jacket doesn't fit at all so he's just got like the turtleneck on under it and then the jacket unzipped and then his cat this white Floofy cat named Neelix jumps up on him, and I've never seen so much hair come off of something before. Did did you see this at all? So first and foremost, I just want to point just
0: out at the the sheer brilliance of the fact that the cat is named Neelix, right? Mm. There's so much about this episode as we get into the way uh, barkley has constructed this fake Voyager simulation that has things a little bit off because their information's out of date. And they don't want, know what Neelix is, except he's kind of like a cat person. <laughs> so because he's an alien that no one's ever seen, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what the fuck is a Talaxian cat like features? OK. And he gets a, a this adorable white Persian cat and names him Neelix, like 10 out of 10. I didn't focus too much on the fact that the cat was shedding. I do like that Barkley's uniform doesn't fucking
1: fit him. <laughs> no, it's very <laughs> on brand for Barkley. Yeah, a very on brand for those first contact uniforms. Like, from what I read, Cisco's didn't fit him for shit at first either. Um, I also like her knocking on the door, and it's not like a little door chime or whatever. And again, it's stuff that just grounds it and feels very un-Star Trek. And looking at the bigger Star Trek picture here, and forgive me because I can't speak to Deep Space Nine, and I know that there's a fair amount of Deep Space Nine that does touch base on uh, Earth, but this is the most that we have really seen, I think, of Earth between next gen and Voyager. Previous to that would have been a uh, terrible ass non sequitur, which is when Harry Kim gave us one of the all time low points of season two. Uh, but this is kind of like a day in the normal life where there's not goofy space cosmic entities working at a coffee shop. This is real Starfleet. This is real apartment situations. This is real Earth. And again, it's just it it feels like a very unnatural fit. And it's not until Picard, if you choose to look at that as actual canon, that we get a closer look at what Earth is. But I don't know what how did it feel to you, Joe? Is is I I guess my question.
0: I'm sort of used to the aesthetic they used for Earth and the future when showing earth is not being particularly futuristic. So, I didn't think much of it. DS9 has a few episodes that does take place on earth and I just I'm just used to it. Like, yes, this is how earth looks in the 24th century. Apparently, late 90s early 2000s chic was really in then, you know? So, people are are doing the future friends thing as you put it. Yeah, they have their Fine.
1: replicator <laughs> conveniently located off-screen so you don't have to waste any special effects budget on replicating some ice cream like hi, I, I don't know the, the, they're really pushing for that ah ah you remember Troy remember she likes ice cream he's gonna offer her ice cream when she comes over instead of a coffee like whatever but uh I, I think based on what we've seen of Earth I don't blame anybody in Starfleet for willing to go out into space madless Bandlands and yeah, it's a, potentially this place fine. hasn't
0: changed in 400 years. Yeah. Same goddamn skyline as in 1999. We even get a shot of a Starfleet building that has the cardboard cutout shuttlecraft move in front of it, just to make you think it's the future.
1: Yeah, <laughs> like the actual also, like communi- the communications research center or whatever. Yeah, this big ominous government building. I also caught the Starfleet command shots. They were still using it, it's. everything's old stock footage i'm surprised they weren't wearing fucking burgundy movie outfits but they were using the old um season three and later uh next gen uniforms in it but anyways uh barkley's no longer on the enterprise he's working this special project to get into communication with voyager and things are not going well for reginald barkley personally
0: yeah, as, as you noted, most of the story is told in flashbacks, and it's Barkley explaining to Troy whom he sort of suckers into coming down because he needs a counseling session. His explanations of what's going on eventually reveals as to why he needs his counseling session. So he is working with his boss, who's Commander Pete Harkins, who is just the best boss Right. Like this guy has a lot of patience for original Barkley shit. <laughs> you know? Like he, he is, he, he, he took this guy on, even though he knew he was a head case. Cause he's got a lot of talent. He's like, they're on a first name basis, even though he's his superior, he's inviting him over to hang out at his house and meet his sister-in-law, you know, cause he wants him to bang. Yeah. He wants to hook him up with somebody like he is, a great boss, and he Commander Harkins is the one that's in charge. It wasn't. It's not clear if he's in charge of just the Pathfinder Project or he's in charge of the entire communication center. Um, doesn't matter, right? He's the person who's in charge of whatever Barclay is working on. And Barclay has an idea. He thinks he's figured out a way to communicate with Voyager using something called the Midas Array, which is this. It's, it's called the uh, Mutara Interdimensional Deep Space Array System is what the acronym stands for. It's essentially a, a super duper microwave communication thing. They do a cool special effects shot with it. It looks neat, looks very futuristic Star Trek aesthetic-y. And using some techno babble, because there's going to be like some kind of weird uh, uh, space phenomenon that's going to allow it to like bounce the verticon particle beam off the main deflector dish, you know, the Voltaire song. Uh, they can create an artificial wormhole, which will allow them to send communication to Voyager and then get communication back. I'll
1: uh, eye the needle. Eye I- I the needle wasn't an artificial wormhole. No, but it's the same plot hook there is that you can communicate vast differences using the power of portals
0: the issue that he runs into in trying to kind of convince his boss about this is he's a he's you know he's one of those classic big uh starry-eyed thinkers so some of the stuff that he's um suggested in the past hasn't worked out uh, I think they said a, a trans warp probe was the last thing they spent like six months trying to make work and it couldn't make work so he's like yeah we're gonna stick to safer plans And he mentioned and Commander Harkins mentions, listen, Admiral Paris is coming by tomorrow and we don't want to give him hope on some shit you just thought of, my my crazy, possibly psychotic friend. So we're going to stick to what we know works and, uh, you know, not go on a fishing expedition and make him think that there's something on the table that there isn't.
1: Do you think that Reginald Barkley has ever played the card where, you know, someone tries to doubt him and like downplay his idea? He'd be like, listen, buddy, let me let me reality check you real quick here. My brain used to be hooked up to a galaxy class computer core, like with some lawnmower man shit, and for about one episode, I was the smartest human in the entire universe. So why don't why don't you just step off my nuts and <laughs> Let me draw this out for you. As formerly the universe's smartest man. Let me just give me a give me a, a, a napkin and a pen and let me draw this out real quick.
0: I, if this episode reveals anything, it's that no, he does not. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the classic, very unsure of himself, Reginald Barclay is in play here, but it is a, an evolution still. Like it isn't that he's like a hypochondriac. It isn't that he's he's too timid actually in this case he's very assertive it's still that he's he's unable to communicate effectively i i thought it was really cool like having watched how he develops more and uh in tng that they kind of kept that development and i think that goes to dwight schultz being just uh, such a uh a lover of this character quite famously like he loved playing barkley that he just knew kind of where he left off
1: with the performance and just went with it. Yeah. And to your point, uh, what I think is interesting is that he has what had previously been flaws that he has kind of tempered into resources. Like what he does in this episode isn't really healthy, but I do think like him fantasizing and li- basically living on the holodeck again on Voyager is yeah. is productive it's not healthy but it's not uh it's not a sickness and it does serve a greater purpose by the end as you know it proves itself to be a uh a resource
0: it's clearly a different scenario than what when he he basically programmed a bunch of sex spots to look like his bosses on tng right yeah like that was like clearly unhealthy and this is him using the holodeck to work some things out. Now there's some unhealthy parts to it, which we'll get into, but it's not the same. It is clearly evolved in some ways. I like it. And before we, to move off of this, Owen Paris, Admiral Paris, also gets established in this episode. Yeah. Like there was a kind of a, we saw a version of him earlier, but now this is the actor that is actually going to be playing him from this point forward. Richard Hurd. The recently passed Richard Heard. Correct. Yes, I know he died this past year, and he, he actually has uh, some pedigree. I think he played a couple other characters on Trek, but this is the one I think that he was best known for was was playing uh, Owen Paris. I just really like the way that uh, they eventually like settled on how he's portrayed. Um, you know, he's he's very much like a by the book admiral, but he's. He's got a certain level of of softness to him,
1: realistically, you know? I look forward to seeing, as with all Starfleet admirals, where his crazy is. (laughs) As sure as his belt buckle looked stupid, this guy has to have some fatal character flaw that is going to drag everyone around him into a near-death experience, right, Joe? I think he may be the only uh, exception to that rule. Admiral Paris is not crazy. Did he call Voyager into the Badlands? That's true. (laughs) Okay, so Admiral Paris is responsible for the continued survival of the Borg. Yeah, that checks the crazy card, I think. Okay, you found a way there. I like that. Mm -hmm. Admiral Paris awoke a uh, species of... um, cryogenically frozen space Nazis who flew off in the night never to be heard from again. He's got a lot of blood on his hands. Yeah, he definitely checks the fucking box <laughs> courtesy of Catherine Janeway. Yeah, Barkley's working on this big science project. And as we talked about before, uh, there is a holodeck that is part of the labs that he's working with at the Communications Research Center. And again, looking into what the world of tomorrow would look like if it were not tainted with the Picard turd colored glasses man can't you find a better place in your job to like sleep and hang out and have fun and abuse the holodeck in ways that only uh Reginald Barkley can like isn't there a YMCA he could have been pulling this shit at he's got this this holodeck recreation of Voyager and it's very clever the way that they've set it up All of the visuals are inspired by the on-hand data that they had. Now, sure, the Doctor is able to fill them in on some new developments, but Season 1 Janeway, Season 1 Paris, Chakotay, and uh, Torres, the Doctor must have relayed information that, you know, the Maquis crew has integrated, but they're not in Starfleet uniforms. They're wearing their ugly-ass, what would you call it, the treetop cafe Yeah, the treetopped cafe reject outfits. Interestingly enough, Memory Alpha calls those ugly ass civilian clothes they're wearing Maquis fatigues. And to think that that is some sort of like Maquis (laughs) uniform is so fucking revolting to me. (laughs) What a fucking punishment. Jesus Christ. Now. It's. All of his stuff is like seven, or I'm sorry, five or six years out of date. Yet, luckily enough for Reginald Barkley, no one in Voyager really changes. Everybody goes back to homeostasis. So amazingly, these these six-year-old ideas that he programmed this, uh, this holographic experience with are pretty close to the money because of the absolutely stifled character development we see on Star Trek Voyager.
0: And also more importantly to this specific episode... They are all programmed to think that Reginald Barkley is just the coolest fucking guy. Yeah, he's a like ass man. Everyone loves him. Everyone thinks he's brilliant. And of course, the moment he is hanging out with his quote unquote friends, all this confidence starts to come out. You know, he's a card shark. He's social. And we see the comfort and self-assuredness come out when he's in this environment that is now extremely safe. And it's a great callback to what we've already referenced, which is that he's got a problem when it comes to escapism. You know, he he finds dealing with the real world extremely stressful and difficult, and he finds comfort in holodeck pursuits. And while this is perhaps not as Patently unhealthy as what he was doing before, it is still an escape from the discomfort of the offer he was given by his boss in the scene before, which is to go meet a real lady you know, and, and make a connection with real people who who are wanting to do so. And I think it's cool because they follow back up on this thread close to the end, right? As to why he he does this, which I thought was – they didn't love it hanging out there, right? Like they actually do readdress why Barkley is retreating into this. I want to compliment the show when it actually focuses in on these kind of like small stories and this character development. And it's so weird that we're talking about this – about a character who's not a fucking Voyager character.
1: Let's – Let's deep dive for a minute on escapism. Uh, So Lieutenant Broccoli, as he was originally debuted, uh, Hollow Pursuits, right? So this is TNG episode uh, 21 out of season three. First aired in 1990. This concept that people are uncomfortable in the real world, but in fantasy, a different side and confidence and all that comes out. We see it every day now with people who live in the internet and you catch them in real life and you've got a very meek timid hollow person but then you know you get them online and they got balls of steel and uh massive confidence and god only knows what cyber sex situations are getting into or whatever oh yeah
0: and it's been and it's like a a common internet phenomenon going on
1: since Web 2.0 came to be, right? You know? Web 2.0, but you jump back to 1990, which is when Hollow Pursuits came out. So, who even knows when this was, that that episode was written? What would they have built that off of? Because the internet certainly didn't exist in in its current format, and I don't think it would have been um, ubiquitous enough to be able to draw that analogy. So, like, how clever of them to predict a situation that would would become and and maybe back in the nineties there was something else you could kind of say, Oh, these guys that I don't know, talk on the phone or, or whatever it would have been, but it's, it's a very specific situation they identified and built this very relatable character around. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to consider the idea
0: that with the technology that they introduced of the holodeck, that this was an, a topic they might have had in mind for people who use it as escapism since it's such a complete way to do so and i don't want to give them too much credit for for thinking that i think that's just a natural pathway to take and the fact that we've seen that play out irl albeit not with something as as all-encompassing as the holodeck is just it's It's why it was such an easy story for them to tell, because people are just fucking like that. Right. People have been engrossing themselves in escapism to avoid the real world ever since it became a possible thing to do.
1: You know, shout out Sally Caves, the pen name of Sarah Higley, who uh, is the creator of Reginald Barkley. Way to way to call a problem in the future, 20 years out, 30 years out. It's a great episode. Again, I want to say they're like 11 or 12 minutes into the episode before you even see the first Voyager crew member, which is fucking hilarious. And it's not even the real crew member. These are the holodeck crew members. No actual Voyager people show up until almost the very end. Yeah. And like you said, everybody's just lining up to suck Reggie's dick. And I appreciate that he's not in there banging all the women. Like there's a little bit of flirting but there's nothing like people lining up to get in his quarters. And how bad does it make the doctor look when you are a worse holodeck sex offender than Reginald Barkley in a season? <laughs> referring, of course, the tinker doctor soldier spy or whatever that episode was.
0: Yeah. The one where he's literally having sex with every single one of his co coworkers in a different fantasy.
1: Yeah. Um, The hard part of this episode, well, there's a couple hard parts. The first one is this is classic, like if you could just give your boss your show him your work and maybe you can inspire confidence and and do the thing. Um, They don't really put a a plot device in play that says, hey, we need to try this this wormhole plan within the next 20 hours or we're going to lose our window. And we won't be able to try again for four months or whatever. Like Barkley going crazy, going, you know, rogue and pulling the stunt is kind of unjustified. It seems like he should have been able to just. And again, he's got this character flaw where there's a communication thing. But the crazy shit he pulls towards the end seems kind of unjustified.
0: Yeah, there is no line, single line of dialogue that puts a ticking clock on the episode, which is what it's missing. That it wouldn't have taken much like uh, Timeless managed to do it with, again, like three or four words as they were explaining what they were up to. That, oh, there's this you know piece of MacGuffinism that is going to decay and so we only have a limited amount of time. And they already are invested in all this technobabble to explain how they're going to use this Midas array thing to communicate – All you got to do is throw in four or five words to say, and it's going to fall out of phase within X amount of time. So we don't do it now. We won't. And maybe also just add in like some sort of resource issue on the Starfleet side. So there's an explanation for why they don't want to risk it, even though it's a limited window.
1: Just rework a few pieces of dialogue to make it work. It's all and that's really what you would have had to do. It's nitpicky, but it's significant. Like you said, the last time that they had contact was um, not Equinox. It was a uh, gosh, when the doctor went and met, hung out with Handy Dick what was that episode called uh, message in a bottle message in a bottle. I want to say that was like three major system jumps between that and, and current day Voyager. You know, like we just even last episode. Just we had one slingshot thing. And and I want to say there was some Borg tech or something else in there. So their projections of where they think Voyager should be like Voyager is nowhere near that area. Um, they say, oh, well, if
0: they've traveled at warp 6.8 since then. They will be in this area. And that's what I immediately thought of when I watched it this time around. I was like, wait a second. They would be nowhere near there. We just literally saw them jump 30 sectors in the last episode. So that's that puts them three light years out. Right there away from where you would think that or 30 light years or whatever, 300
1: several years worth of time. The other plot hole that I want to address that kind of haunts thing, especially at the back, is like there is a connection between. Um, Barkley and Voyager and that Barkley developed the EMS which he knows is a big deal because the the EMH has relayed all of this information and like I would think there'd be a strong point of pride and a connection that like something I helped design uh is what has made contact with us in the first place and then at the end of the episode uh the Voyager crew is sitting around like toasting Reginald Barkley everybody's like oh I have no idea who this guy is and it's like uh Doctor, you know goddamn well who this is. You had a whole buddy cop adventure episode with this guy. And and now here you are, like spilling all the details of his, uh, you know, mental instabilities <laughs> to the entire crew gathered to celebrate him. But again, it's Voyager unwilling to comment on its own shared history with itself.
0: I think that makes a little sense in this because that episode of Voyager was the doctor going crazy. So maybe... He didn't trust that information or or something like that. And Also, that was several years ago at this point, so the Doctor reacquainting everybody or telling everybody, even though maybe he knew about who Barkley is. I couldn't buy a million explanations for that. The only big plot hole is Voyager would be nowhere near Starf- where Starfleet thinks they are because they've had several uh, jump- jumps of many, many hundreds of light years in between now and then. And there isn't any kind of taking clock put on why Reginald Barkley has to break all the rules to get it done. Despite those two
1: issues, the episodes are great. Yeah, because I love Reginald Barkley and I love Deanna Troy. <laughs> I also really love the scenes where Barkley, uh, you know, he he fucks up, you know. So Admiral Paris is coming down to Space Nerd HQ. To get the presentation and then uh, super forgiving Pete commander Pete's up there trying to give his presentation and Barkley's like hey here's a bunch of gibberish I'm going to fuck this presentation up and get myself uh, suspended Um, and then he ends up going into Admiral Paris's office and says hey here's my calculations uh, as I try to go over my boss's head that we should get this done and I love that on uh, Owen Paris's desk there's a picture of what you might think is his son, but is actually instead of Tom Paris, it's Nick Lacarno Yeah, Fucking, uh, what was that? The first duty was that that episode where it correct that kid. <laughs> so it's his son getting fucking court-martialed. <laughs> I
0: mean, we said from the very premiere of our own podcast that Tom Paris is only not Nick Lacarno because a, they Boy. didn't want to pay royalties <laughs> to the writers of this episode and B, uh, Nick Lacarno was such a fucking douchebag in that episode. They're like, I don't know if we want to try and redeem this character through this show. No, it's money. so in the post, uh, he is Nick lacarno except, you know, they changed his backstory to be a little more sympathetic and uh, changed the name. Even so, though post scarcity society, money rules the day. So goodbye. Use now. those use those still shots you got, man. No need to shoot new one. But I guess it it also is super handy because it's literally that actor younger right it's that actor 10
1: years prior in a Starfleet uniform yeah i mean in, in a
0: cadet uniform at that like perfect perfect so you can't can't ask that can't draw it up better than that uh one scene in the middle of between when barclay gets suspended and goes to admiral paris's office is where he kind of gets busted um in the holodeck by uh by pete by commander harkins and it's one of two confrontations with with Barkley about his hollow addiction. The first is obviously Deanna trying to, to talk things through with him. And this is, is Harkins, who obviously cares about Barkley, you know, where he's like trying to explain, like, I, I was I thought giving you space was the right thing to do that, you know, to, but clearly like you've been in here 20 to 30 hours a week This is a problem. You've got a documented hollow addiction issue. You know, like it isn't that he's being too like touchy feely, but he's he's obviously cares, and he is trying to get Barkley to like, you need to go home. You need to relax. You need to get your mind off of this because this is consuming you, and that's not good for you. And I thought that was well done on part of the episode that these people do care about Barkley and they kind of understand
1: him, but not exactly. And you know, it's, it's just like Jordy and they call out Jordy in this episode. And I would have loved it. If uh LeVar Burton could have been a part of this, I certainly enjoyed him in um future tent was a future tense or past. Huh? No, it was timeless.
0: timeless it was timeless, ever.
1: man. Um, was that captain that a- of the USS challenger, bro. I've had employees like this, just people, you know, could be better people you want to try and put that effort into like help them and grow them and then the frustration that you find out that maybe you're not able to enact that change and and people are falling into those same traps again 30 hours on the holodeck like you'd think that his co-workers would be like hey i'm trying to run these simulations and he's in here literally getting back rubs from the doctor and uh what were some of the so there's the back rub at the doctor there's Teaching Paris how to play like hoverball and giving Harry like poker lessons and beating Tuvok at chess, like he he really goes for the gusto here. Um do they show seven of nine on the ship at all? No. No, seven of
0: nine is not in the holographic versions because they would have essentially no knowledge. Of seven of nine, she was barely she was barely on the ship at the time of uh of message in the bottle.
1: I have to wonder if Janeway has neglected to mention her wildly inappropriate science. Well, it's not an inappropriate; it's just very. Dangerous. It's not an inappropriate science project until the third time she shoots up engineering. <laughs>
0: right and as far as we know all the doctor did was give them a kind of a basic debrief on what was going on and then got beamed back so it wasn't up to janeway what the doctor conveyed and from the sound of it it was very basic information probably yeah like yes we found a a human who was a borg and we made her human again she's a work in progress like
1: neat right (laughs) only sometimes um takes the ship over sometimes Barkley goes in to see Admiral Paris. He gives him his idea. Uh, He's willing to put his commission on the line and says, if this thing doesn't work, uh, I'm going to quit and save you guys the hassle of having to deal with me. But I think we owe it to the people on the ship and you owe it to yourself to speak with your son and we should give this a shake. And then Paris says, well, let me run it by the project commander Harkness um, or Harkins. And we'll see what we can do. And that's a very reasonable answer that he gives Barkley, who is on suspension for acting goofy. And then Barkley tells all this to Deanna Troy, his trusted counselor, who says, wow, that sounds like it really went good. And then Barkley goes like completely fucking uh, murder vibe ape shit and starts like tearing the apartment up, saying like, no, it was terrible. It needs to be me and like all sorts of crazy and Troy's like, you need to chill out. And he's like, no, you need to give me an official clearance that I'm fit for duty so I can get back into this. And Troy correctly says, no, I'm not willing to do that because you're crazy again. Instead of just letting sleeping dog lie, Barkley, who is, again, as we've already discussed, has no sort of like timeline. There's no sort of Damocles hanging over his head that this must be attempted within the next 30 hours, uh, goes to work and breaks in and goes back into his uh, fantasy cave.
0: There is a neat scene there when Barkley kind of sits down and and gets emotional and says, like, you know, when he left Enterprise, he felt like he lost his family and it was a hard one family for him because of the derision he faced at first and the problems he had and eventually like forming connections with people was obviously quite difficult for him. And but he did. And then suddenly he's got a new assignment. And he doesn't know anybody and rebuilding those relationships from scratch is always daunting. And that's actually quite a relatable challenge, right? Like in a, in a world with, with enlightened space people and no scarcity, finding storylines where you as the viewer can connect in a very real way with what's going on on screen is all the more precious. And this is very much like everyone's been through this at some point in their life. Where connections in your life have been broken, either because of distance or circumstance, and you're faced with the prospect of having to build new ones. And sometimes you don't want to. Sometimes instead, you would like to just fire up World of Warcraft and invest yourself in a virtual world where none of those problems exist, right? Where you can just have this own family you build for yourself without really
1: dealing with the real world.
0: That's what he did,
1: and it's very relatable. And doesn't this entire situation just kind of cast Picard in a shitty light? You've got this guy who's pretty much a genius, who uh, you have put a lot of personal resources and your ship's resources into getting him adjusted. And he turns out to be a pretty good guy and saves the day a few times and also saves, you know, as part of the effort to save Earth from being borged in, uh, in First Contact. And, you know, this guy doesn't do well in foreign situations. And then you're like, yeah, OK, sometime prior to 2371, we're going to transfer you off to Jupiter so you can work on a fucking EMS, uh, EMH program. (laughs) See you later. Good luck. Don't kill anyone.
0: It sometimes isn't up necessarily to like someone like Picard, right? People get reassigned by by folks much higher rank than him like some admiral's like all right well Barclay's clearly a genius at hollow programming so we're gonna have him do some hollow programming you oh, know shit. like
1: tell me one time that picard follows uh admiral's orders without like fist That's okay. <laughs> That's true admiral Chav has to personally show up and just slap him across the face yeah. she had to show up with a hypo spray and like abduct him and put a black bag over his head and, and whisk him away so he breaks in he starts laying the groundwork uh, he has the computer, which, you know, this is how automated things are, that he's controlling this super powerful array that was built in conjunction with the Vulcans. And he starts opening micro wormholes uh, into the Delta Quadrant, which I'd hate to think what would happen if he'd opened up one of those micro wormholes and there would just happen to have been a planet there. Like, I can't think that. <laughs> <laughs> Loops. <laughs> and he opens like, I don't know, six or seven of these wormholes before he finally finds the right sector where it's able to successfully make contact with Voyager. But that's that's some real sloppy work. I think that's a good story. Along the lines of, like, Voyager makes a mess and then flies away from the mess. Like, what else happens in the background Voyager doesn't even know is getting fucked up because of it?
0: Yeah, they, like, come across a moon that had, like, six million people on it, and it's, like, been, like, partially sucked into some kind of vortex. Like, what happened here? It looks like a micro
1: wormhole. Uh, uh. That's a Starfleet signature. Uh Uh,
0: Let's just, uh, we're out of here. Let's go. (laughs) it under the carpet. Off we go. There's kind of a goofy chase sequence through the, uh, hollow program where like Starfleet security shows up and they are, of course, just as ineffective as they always are led by Tuvok or not, or being, uh, you know, uh, whether you're a woman standing in front of a, a window and don't know how to get around them. Uh, whether you, uh, get into to random fist fights and uh with with uh ferengi and lose and cause a wormhole that goes home to close starkly security always sucks and uh they are failing miserably to capture reginald
1: fucking barclays yeah. but there being like five of them at least this time they get caught in force fields and like you pointed out it's not just a shut window I like the people, the extras they have playing security, too, because instead of being like big, beefy dudes, it looks like they've employed um, off-duty Walmart optometrists (laughs) to fill the role of uh, Starfleet muscle. So he's using the lab. Uh, his, His buddy Pete shows up, Commander Pete, and says, hey, man, you're on suspension. You shouldn't be here. Let's wrap it up. And then Barkley is able to like ra- props to Dwight Schultz for being able to blow out the techno babble he does. But then he's got like this. Remember the the Micro Machines Dunkin Donuts guy, like the fastest speaker in the world. When mm-hmm. You're like trans computer transfer all midas operations commands to the holodeck and activate barkley voyager simulator you know omega two or what and he's able to say all that before someone can pull a phaser and stun his ass and then run in lock himself in there and basically create like this yeah like a hedge maze type of situation so he runs in and then there's uh tuvok walking by and the only time tuvok's ever been a security chief worth a worth a shit it's hollow Tuvok. And he's like, hey, I'm being pursued by people pretending to be Starfleet security. And uh, Tuvok starts trapping him in forest fields and he's running all over the place. He ends up in engineering. Um, they cover their bases as to why they can't just turn the holodeck off, which, you know, when can you ever just turn the holodeck off? Answer is never. Uh, but uh, he sees Balan and Balan is like, oh, God, Reg, are you all right? And he's like, no, I'm being chased. She's like, get out of here. I got your back. And then she pulls a phaser out and guns down the Starfleet security guys. And like the first time I think maybe ever the safety protocols work just fine. And the optometrist just looks down into his stomach is like, Oh, okay. I just got shot. Whatever. Let's keep running.
0: <laughs> that's what those uh, are supposed to look like. It's so, uh, Oh, that's, that's a nice card.
1: Wow. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Nice. We can use these more often.
1: Hmm. He has a little standoff on the bridge. Holodeck Janeway's like, you know, we trust you. You're the man. Everything's great. But finally, Reggie gives up and says, all right, we're done. And they go to escort him out of the lab. And just as they're about to get him out of there, Admiral Owens shows up or Paris shows up and says, hey, these uh, calculations look pretty good. Uh, too bad you're in the middle of what appears to be like, uh, I don't know, treason or something. <laughs> <laughs> He has a very paternal attitude about it,
0: like, "Oh, that's too bad. You've put me in a, you've been me in a tough position here, son. You know, I kind of liked your ideas, but then you went and committed a bit of light treason, and uh, now we got problems. Yeah. But of, but of course, as we have alluded to with the opening of this episode, the ultimate Starfleet principle applies, and that is, if you get up to wacky hijinks, but it turns out you were correct, all is immediately forgiven." And we uh, we have cut back at this point to Voyager, who is picked up on the on the uh, the emergency channel that Barkley has been uh, broadcasting. And uh, they start to broadcast back through the wormhole. Hey, uh, whoever you are, Barkley guy you still there. Like, we're here. We're here, guys. I don't know how you found us because we're like eight thousand light years away from where you thought. But you found us. And uh, sure enough, we have a really Powerful, almost emotional scene where Voyager finally makes direct contact with Earth for the first time in the entire show—like direct communication
1: from Voyager straight to the heart of the Federation. Because Harry Kim didn't have the gumption to step up and do Voyager solid and non sequitur. <laughs> Weak shit. It is a cool scene, though. It is fucking awesome. I got goosebumps. It was an emotional scene. It was powerful. It's Hokies 90s TV or whatever. But, you know, this is a couple years of you and me doing this. And Janeway finally talking to home and uh, the look on Paris, uh, Tom Paris's face as he hears his dad's voice, who he has been at odds with emotionally for years Uh, It was powerful stuff It gave me goosebumps It felt great to watch And uh, It felt like the show Just really suddenly kicked it up Into into high gear I loved that they had
0: a Like they had Harry in the shot With the captain and he's like He's trying to contain his, his glee You know and he's just super Excited and then as you said When Admiral Paris starts to talk And then suddenly Tom's like what and then I thought the cool story arc for Admiral Paris here was that he was trying not to allow his emotional desire to obviously speak to his son to interfere with what is the correct thing to do for the mission. But now he's got his chance and he's like, you know, tell him I, I miss him and I'm proud of him. You know, like that's the very first thing he wants to communicate is how much he loves his son. And of course, without him knowing his son gets to just to hear that and is just struck dumb by it. You know, He just sits there like, I can't believe I just heard that. And and Janeway, you know, covers for
1: him a little bit like to worry or he heard you. What are the odds that they're able to catch Voyager during some real chill downtime? <laughs> hey, listen, those
0: crises happen once a pay period, right? Gives you like, you know, a pretty decent chance that it's hey, not uh, on, a, Starfleet- on a murder day. <laughs>
1: Our fleet, we're real happy to hear from you, but uh we're in the middle of dealing some stuff right now. We woke up even more space Nazis, if you can believe that's possible. And uh we had to blow the warp core out, and also Tom is locked in a space jail, and then Paris was like, Yep, still Tom. <laughs> Seven of Nine is is presently shooting up engineering again. We've got Hirogen doing like snuff porn cosplay <laughs> in our holodeck, and um I don't know. There's some psychotic, uh, maleficent, dem IQ like murder gaming us all. So it's it's real busy here. Sorry, it's a Tuesday. Let me get,
0: let me hit you back. But yeah, this is the as I mentioned, as I mentioned last week. This is really where the show lays a marker down to say we're the show is coming to an end relatively soon, and we're creating a path to do that. You know, now there's going to be plots about communicating with Starfleet. There's going to be plots about Starfleet asking them to do shit for them. Like the, there's going to be this interaction, this element to the show that A, we haven't had obviously up to this point, and B provides more and more opportunity for to to, to paint a, a picture as to how they get home.
1: That's a really powerful difference too, and that's what I have been thinking about. Is that one of the defining features of Voyager has been that. Starfleet is not present. Janeway is the end of the line as far as what Starfleet conceptually would want. And as we know, Starfleet at the top is rotten and problem riddled and and problematic and all of that. Um, So Janeway being the captain detached from the command structure of Starfleet has allowed for some very idealistic stuff. And Kind of this rogue approach to things for better or for worse. And now Janeway's got a boss. And now we can see potentially some of the more classic Starfleet uh, hero ship interactions where Starfleet wants something that a captain isn't necessarily comfortable with or that there is a repercussion that can take place outside of the ship that forces action on the ship. So those concepts feel very alien to think about happening in Voyager. And I kind of look forward to seeing how that's going to start playing out.
0: And it does to the show's credit where they have dropped the ball on a lot of things in the past. They actually pay off the idea of this long distance connection with, with Starfleet to be, uh, they, they pay it off pretty well. Um, they kind of scale it up appropriately you know right now this is like a one off communication and then you know as time goes on things change uh significantly in that regard and every time that it changes it changes their interactions with earth and some of the stuff you're talking about does does happen which is neat and as i mentioned more barkley because he is the uh kind of interface point the character that represents earth right they decided Barkley's the guy. He's the guy we're gonna use every time there's an episode that has to deal with Voyager
1: contacting Earth. So we get a lot more Barkley. Well, I assume Marina Certis in those yoga pants is too expensive for them, so that's why we're sticking it out with Barkley. Um we talk. to see
0: more, we get more Marina Certus too. Believe it or not. Like we it's they pull out all the stops.
1: Well, not all the stops. Some of the stops. Again, it's I uh, <laughs> If I was part of the Voyager cast, I would be kind of salty and be like, man, they're just using us as a vehicle to put next gen episodes out there like it's not enough. These guys. And again, I love next gen. So, you know, don't don't get me wrong, but calling it for what it is as someone who's been living in Voyager for a couple years now, like were the movies not enough like them and the TOS guys are the only people who got movies or anything outside of their normal run, like just let us have our fucking thing. Oh, we can leave it there man we Just we can walk into what we're watching next week um, going in next week season 6 episode 11 fairhaven and we've got uh, Janeway dressed up in her bodice ripper outfit and some dude voyager's crew takes part in Paris's latest holodeck gimmick getaway in a picturesque and probably very uh, racist <laughs> stereotypical irish coastal town where janeway and a pub owner become close yeah <laughs> this
0: is one of the more notorious episodes of voyager and in fact it is so notorious peter
1: i have called in some help got some heavy lifting
0: we do this is the sort of thing where you need to have more than two sets of eyeballs on it to really digest everything that happens. Um, and so I'm happy to, to to tease for everybody that next week we will be joined by Taryn and Mike from, um, from Hail and Well Met, who, as you may remember, of course, joined us on our 100th episode when we reviewed Demon. And uh, for multiple reasons, I thought of them as the people that can help us through the first of two <laughs> fair haven episode oh dude,
1: goody goody all the <laughs> all the important stuff we've passed on cast and neelix the oh, yeah. fucking former borg bajoran that we picked up in the borg quartet never mentioned the, again all of those yeah. cool people and we're gonna put mm-hmm. two into some fucking racist ass what about the Vodouar? don't we? No, no. Two. Let's do two Fairhaven episodes. <laughs> I remember what I wanted to say real quick. You said you were focused in on Harry Kim's face when they were talking to Starfleet. My attention was on Chakotay, because is in a very precarious situation. Um, they found out that all of their friend Maquis have been wiped off the fucking map. I would be sweating bullets. We just got through a conspiracy theory episode. Um, again. The only Maquis that are still alive in the universe are on Voyager. And if you're already buying into conspiracy theories, thinking like, geez, maybe they're just going to kill us off too. That would be scary. But then in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, Jakota has got some strong cards like, Hey, Starfleet. I know you might think we're bad being Maquis, but Hey, look at all this terrible last shit that Janeway's done. And also Delta quadrant changes people, for example. And, And when do you bring this up now that you've got contact with Starfleet? Hey, by the way, about the Equinox.
0: <laughs> That's going to be a real fucking awkward conversation.
1: I got some good news and I got some bad news, Starfleet Command. <laughs> what do you want the, first?
0: That Chicote stuff, though, I'm happy to say, like, they actually don't abandon that concept that you're talking about. of like, the, the Maquis are others, you know, they're not Starfleet. They're wearing the uniform, but they're terrorists. That is not that is not forgotten. You'll you'll see. You'll see. I'll leave it at that. But more importantly, before you'll see that, you're going to see some fucking Fairhaven, Not once, but twice. And uh, there's only one way to make sure we're well prepared for that. And it's calling our own foreigners uh, from a for- far shore of our own. All right, man. All right. And we will see everyone next week.